Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome back to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast presented by Planters, satisfying your snack cravings for over 100 years. Uh, do you know what satisfied me today? And I like this is going to sound disingenuous, but it is not. I didn't even realize how much I had missed having people find me on Twitter to tell me all the things that I got wrong in a given week of fantasy football. Like it was honestly, it's part of the it's part of the rhythm of this game. And it was a joy. I really I like I appreciate it. I appreciate all the people that uh, that uh Take a moment out of their day to tell you that you were horribly misguided and wrong about Aaron Rodgers. I want to thank you. Like, I actually do. Like, I like it. I like interacting with folks on stuff like that. Scott Pianowski joining me uh, for the Pickups Pod as we do every week. Scott, what's going on? How you doing, man? I'm doing great. I remember this could also be the therapeutic drops pod. Some, sometimes just getting <laughs> a player off your roster can make you happy. Uh, I end up doing a lot of that in my fantasy baseball leagues. Want to congratulate the Lions for completing their uh, their bingo card of, of awful losses. Um, <laughs> rookie running back drops winning touchdown at goal line, you know, c- completing magical Trubisky comeback. I don't think anybody saw that one coming. And I hear you. It's, it's nice to hear from the people on Twitter for things you get wrong. A lot of people say like a hockey player would tell you they're not really in the game until they get hit by the other guy or the football players week one. They, they want to get that first, you know, pad rattling hit just to feel like they're into the game. I don't think your favorite fantasy analyst really feels into the game until he's been body checked on Twitter. So keep them coming. <laughs> you know, we're, you know, Andy and I are a couple of Lindros brothers here. You know, we, we can handle it. So, um, you know, look, some hits, some misses. It was a fun week one. There are a lot of points, certainly things I got right, certainly things I got wrong. But and, and of course, some some nasty injuries, which will always tie into this pickup podcast. But hey, at least they got all the games going. I mean, I, Sunday morning, I was worried that maybe there'd be a cancellation in California with the air quality it? and everything. Right. So we got all the games off uh, without a hitch. And, um, you know, there's a fair amount of fantasy goodness in there with, uh, with the misses. I Again, I'm not even kidding about it. I really, like, this has been such a, a messed up year for a thousand different reasons. And just falling back into the normal rhythm of a fantasy football week was really fun. And as long as people aren't super mean-spirited about it, like, you, you want to call me out for things I got wrong, I, I'm here. I'm here for it. Um, I love it. I, I love to interact on a, on a Sunday afternoon with people who actually care about your content. Um, I appreciate it. What's uh, you, you mentioned? Well, you mentioned a whole lot there. The Mitch Trubisky thing could be its own breakout 
podcast he for most of that game i mean that like i realize this is a pickups podcast and nobody is officially endorsing mitch trubisky as a pickup i just want to say he had some hilarious sequences he had some classically mitch trubisky sequences i realized this was probably not the primary game for most of america and for most of our audience like he had a late game sequence in which he took a hilarious delay of game penalty through a brutal incompletion and then gave up like a 30 yard sack slash fumble, like just terrible game situation, game situation uh, awareness. Like, like it, was a, it was a horrible Mitch Trubisky game until the very end when he pulled it out because the Lions gave it away. Like it was everything that, um, you know, you're familiar with about the Lions and almost everything that you're familiar with about Mitch Trubisky. It was amazing. Yeah, it's nice. You can set your watch by some things like, you know, oh. Adam, Adam Gase. It's almost like the Jets met five minutes before the game started. I, I, Pat, Pat Doherty had, had a great line. <laughs> like, I, I wish Sam Darnold a great career, but he said, are we sure Darnold doesn't have mono again? <laughs> that's, that's how bad oh my the Jets gosh. offense looked. You know, some things went right. I, I thought Atlanta was going to be a carnival this year and have a really narrow usage tree. In, in our bold predictions, I, I mentioned their slot receiver, Gage, would either score a touchdown or get 100 yards. And, you know, he, he got 100 yards and um, he 1% owned and rostered in Yahoo. So, how about good 12 about targets? That. How about 12 targets for Russell? I mean, they only target three guys, right? Four guys. Right, right. So we, we love that. Um, my, one of my big misses was when I filled out my DFS lineups, when Miles Sanders was ruled out, I just took the Boston Scott bait. And what I should have been more focused on is, is what great players do I want to cram in there? And let's cram all the great players yeah. and I can. And then let's go cheap to make it fit. Instead, I started like, well, I want to build around Boston Scott. He's going to have 150 total yards and a touchdown or two. And he obviously didn't have anything close to that game. He wasn't even that it, cheap. He wasn't even like minimum price. No, he was 15 bucks. Um, I'm kicking way, myself for it too. Yeah. I love that Jameis Winston is still priced up at 27 bucks. Well, well played <laughs> Yahoo DFS. Um, you know, you can play Winston if you want on a hunch. And we know God knows Sean Payton. He'll probably have a Winston package next week the way Payton likes the game plan. But, um, you know, it's funny. I thought about the Philadelphia offensive line hurting Wentz, and I should have thought about how much it would hurt Oof. Boston Scott. I mean, an offensive line is more penal a lot of times in the running game, although Wentz did go down eight times and a tip of the cap to that Washington pass rush. I'm going to watch that game, try to figure out where the blame and, and credit lies. But now Philadelphia could be in trouble. I mean, they had were so injury riddled the last couple of years, and, and one of the angles for them this year was that, well, if they just get some injury luck, they're an 11 and five team waiting to happen. And all they've done is have injuries on the offensive line. Their feature back isn't ready. All sorts of injuries at wide receiver, which, which may press Dallas Goddard into a bigger role this year, but already Philadelphia looks like they could be a team in trouble. Yeah. Obviously the, the line did not play well. I, I also want to credit Washington's uh, defensive front. Um, Ch- like n- not that it's any great surprise, but Chase Young just looked like an absolute game wrecker. He was, he was on, like, it's in the stats, right? Cause he, I think he had a sack and a half in the game, but what a disruptive force that guy is going to be. You know, also I was in favor of his Washington football team, you know, for years they were on the wrong <laughs> side of history. Now they're just a football team and, you know, Ron Rivera is a likable guy. I think Scott Turner is going to eventually get the hang of that offense. They didn't have a great game on offense last week, but uh, the week one. But, you know, I'm happy for Rivera. And that's going to be an interesting division. You know, I mean, a lot of people were saying Dallas was going to be this unbelievable juggernaut. They really didn't have their ideal game against the Rams because they'll probably get well against Atlanta this week. The NFC East looks really interesting. I, I think there's four teams that have flaws, four teams that have offensive skill players we like. You know, even a Washington team that may look barren. I mean, they have guys we're going to talk about picking up. They have Terry McLaurin. You know, the Giants have a lot of skill guys we like. Um, you know, Philadelphia has two tight ends we can play every week. How many teams can say that? 
I think it's going to be a fun, dysfunctional division. And that's all we're looking for here is to be entertained. It doesn't have to be perfect. Uh, just as long as there's something entertaining to watch. I think that division will will check that box. For however long they're simply called football team, I'm going to really appreciate it as a writer because I was able to write what I believe is is one of my certainly a top five all time sentence uh, in my in my Yahoo career today. Uh, it was football team is heading to Arizona in week two for a matchup of undefeated football teams. That's like one of my favorite things I've ever <laughs> I've ever written. Um, you're totally right about the NFC East. Uh, that, how about the NFC West looking pretty frisky, too? They all won except for the team that just went to the Super Bowl. That that division is going to be an absolute buzzsaw. Yeah, no easy games in that division. And um, you know, Kyler Murray running. It felt like he, if you told me he ran for 200 yards, I would have believed it. I mean, what, what an unbelievable yeah. athlete. And and I guess talk about things I got wrong. I, I was saying all summer, you know, DeAndre Hopkins, new team. I, I think they may want to spread the ball out. Uh, that's out the window. I mean, they targeted him off the bus. He looked terrific. He looked like he and Kyler Murray have, have played together for five years. So, you know, I didn't draft any Hopkins. I mean, hopefully the guys I was drafting in, in, instead of Hopkins do well. Kenny Galladay over Hopkins looks like a bad pick right now because Galladay didn't play in week one. But I, I thought Hopkins would have a slow introduction to that offense and i didn't think they would go out of the way to target him and that couldn't have looked more wrong against a good niners defense in week one yeah when, when you think about the teams that had relative year-to-year continuity except they made like one big really nice addition like hopkins like emmanuel sanders like those seem to pay off and then of course the teams where everything is new or like five big things are new all predictably had uh, had uh, almost without exception pretty rough opening weeks we got to get to pickups because it because it is the usual purpose of this podcast, and um, we've got some big injuries out there as well. We have Le'Veon Bell going down with a hamstring. We don't know how long that's going to last. Didn't look particularly good before the injury. We have Marlon Mack. Um, you feel terrible for him. Lost to a torn Achilles. Blake Jarwin, as we speak, with a likely torn ACL, uh, which of course would leave him out for the year. I have a lot of exposure to Blake Jarwin across uh, the old fantasy portfolio, so that's one that stings a little bit but we are here to help with a variety of pickups um ahead of your league's waiver deadline so let's i mean let's start at the the sort of luxury positions where we tend to spend a lot of draft capital let's start at running back it's a big field of uh, of interesting ads at running back we had malcolm brown with a two touchdown game he was somebody that i actually wrote about in the pickups column ahead of week one because uh, all the buzz was basically that he was going to get uh, the lion's share of the workload that certainly happened he outsnapped Cam Akers 44 to 24, definitely outtouched him as well and outgained him. It was a very impressive game from Brown. We knew that they liked him near the goal line. Uh, he, the guy had eight carries inside the five yard line last year. Like they like him there, uh, had a couple of touchdowns in the opener. So I feel like he, and of course, Naheem Hines also coming off two touchdown game right there near the top of the list. How do you prioritize these top three or four running backs on the wire? Brown would be my first target. And for all the reasons you mentioned also, he was used as the closer for the Rams. He was getting yeah. the fourth quarter carries when they're trying to work on the clock. And it looks like this offensive line that was a real problem last year. And Todd Gurley, could, albeit he had all that touchdown deodorant last season, point. but Gurley couldn't really find running lanes last year. Uh, it's I don't know if it was because Brown was seeing the hole really quickly or the line was doing a better job. I'll have to look at that game a little bit more in detail, but it sure looked like a team that had a balanced offense and Brown was the best back last night. So he would be the guy I would prioritize first, uh, currently 25% rostered in Yahoo. And the thing with Hines, look, Phillip Rivers, I don't know what's left in the Phillip Rivers bag of tricks right now, but he <laughs> loves to check down. 
And he, he threw 17 passes to his three running backs to, to Taylor. We weren't even sure, you know, how well can Taylor catch the ball? I didn't catch it a lot at Wisconsin. That wasn't a problem. We know Hines can do that. And the, the Colts coaching staff was uh, Frank Reich was talking all summer. Like Hines might catch 80 passes. Mac was used as a pass catcher before he got hurt. And here's the great thing about when you have pass catching running backs, especially when they're catching the dump offs, the, the, the passes that Rivers loves to throw is the defense is complicit with you because they're they're like, okay, look, we don't want we don't want somebody beating us downfield. We'll give you that check down. We'll give you that Naheem Hines five yard reception as much as you want. And Rivers at this stage of his career, he needs to to eat off that. So I'm thinking that Taylor and Hines collectively, they, they may catch 80 passes each. And then Taylor hardly ever caught the ball at Wisconsin. Hines is going to be playable now. You, you hate to see Mac get hurt, but now the the backfield goes from three to two. That's a major yep. change. Major C change for fantasy. So Brown, I'd have to go with first because I could see him being a feature back for the Rams. Hines would be my second target. And, and then I, I, you know, some of the other guys you look at, you know, Adrian Peterson, look, I, by the way, caught three passes yesterday. To, yesterday was a day where Austin Eckler caught one pass and all these guys <laughs> would never catch the ball. We're catching the ball left and right. We weren't sure if Mostert would catch the ball. He did. Peterson caught three passes. Josh Jacobs. still Right, Jacobs, yeah, who had a monster game against the youngest defense in the NFL. Get get your running backs against Carolina. What, what a yeah. feast that's going to be. Peterson's still a good you know, two-down grinder. Probably can get 10, 12 to 15 touches a week. Lions offense will probably be better down the road when they get everybody back. I, there are things I don't like about the Lions team, but it's not really a comment against the offense. So I think Peterson should be on rosters. He's only 45% owned. And I got to mention, you know, Joshua Kelly got the short touchdown for the Chargers. Peyton Barber had a very ugly rushing line for Washington, but he got the two short touchdowns. I compared it on Twitter to a, a really bad pitcher who gets save chances. If you convert in the ninth inning, managers don't care if your ERA is four and a half. If, if you keep getting those handshakes and you walk <laughs> off the field. We're saying Peyton Barber is is Danny Cobb. He's uh, he's uh, Rod Beck. Is that, is that who he is? Doug, you know, Doug Jones is the man yeah. of his career. You know, somebody like that. Uh, the, the bad versions of Fernando Rodney. We've seen plenty of good Fernando Rodney seasons. But just imagine the years where Rodney couldn't throw a strike. Coaches like in all sports, they like to go with something that works. Something and, and Peyton Barber is not the most talented back on the Washington team. And we're all curious to see when Gibson's usage will get amped up. He didn't play all that much in the in the opener, but if Barber's working at the goal line, they're probably going to keep feeding him. So if we can hang our hat on that, you know, maybe Barber can score kind of an ugly eight or nine, ten touchdowns, something like that. Washington's offense can be competent. You know, 3% uh, rostered in Yahoo. I mean, that's going to go way up. It's not that you're going to add all these guys to start them. I mean, maybe you just put them on your bench, see where it goes. These could be players you end up cutting in a week or two anyway. But, um, you know, with, with running backs usage, the usage of running backs is almost as important as the talent sometimes. Yeah, I, I think you've hit on the right list of four or five running backs. And uh, I agree with you that I think I think Malcolm Brown and Naheem Hines are like a are like a top tier. And those are guys that I can actually imagine adding and plugging into a roster right away. Right. Um, and I think that you have the the hierarchy of them correct as well. I would uh, I would place a slightly larger offer for Malcolm Brown. I can imagine if I had drafted my way into a situation where like let's say 
let's say I went with a zero RB approach. It's not common for me, but let's say I went with a zero RB approach and maybe maybe I swung and missed on a couple of the wrong guys, Like right? Like Matt Breida did not have a particularly impressive opener, right? Um, Usage-wise or statistical, Marlon Mack obviously goes down to injury. Like let's say I drafted a team where like those were the guys that, uh, that were among the first running backs that I selected. Um, I think Malcolm Brown is an absolute priority because he's the, he's the one guy who really popped this week who could certainly slip into just a full-time featured runner, right? Like the workload that he just received, it could look like that many more times this season. Um, he could consistently continue to run ahead of, of, uh, of Cam Akers. That is definitely within the, within the range of possible outcomes here. And then I think what Naheem Hines just did, set the touchdowns aside. And let's not, let's not assume that there's going to be two touchdowns a week, obviously. But we know it's a great offensive line. Um, when they hit the second half of that game and Marlon Mack was already out, the snaps were, were perfectly even between him and Jonathan Taylor. So this is going to be, this is going to be a one-two situation in all likelihood. We're not going to see Jonathan Taylor isn't going to go full Christian McCaffrey last year where he plays virtually every snap. That's not going to happen. Um, by the way, I like the point that you made about Jonathan Taylor not having a significant receiving role at Wisconsin, and then all of a sudden he's catching passes in the in the pros as if he's done it for years. W- like we've seen this with Wisconsin backs before, right? Like uh, Melvin Gordon, James White. It's not it's not like those guys were catching sixty balls a year at Wisconsin necessarily. Um, we we shouldn't just because a guy doesn't do something in college doesn't mean doesn't mean that he can't do it necessarily. Not everyone is Sean Green, right? <laughs> like some guys just didn't get the opportunity to catch the football in college, but they're but they're perfectly capable of it so i think i think those two are kind of my top tier of pickups at the running back spot and then uh you hit on joshua kelly who sure looks like he's going to be sort of the goal line thumper for the chargers right i I, like there's a lot to like and a lot to dislike if you if you have a bunch of shares of austin eckler i think because the the touches were certainly there right like plenty of carries he's obviously running as the number one there's no question about that but they got down to the goal line and they fed the ball to joshua kelly and it worked uh, and he's, he's sort of, he's not a particularly flashy runner, wasn't a particularly flashy runner in college, but he's got that power game and he can move a pile a little bit. And, and we saw that on the five yard touchdown run. I'll admit it's week one. I mean, you, you go back to any week one is going to be crazy <laughs> signal and crazy noise. You know, last year that the Bengals should have beaten Seattle in week one. I, we'll, we'll look back. And, and we'll say, oh, yeah, this this was a signal. This was something that was real that we should have known right yeah. away. And there's going to be things that are going to just look weird out of context and they're not going to be repeatable. But if I owned Eckler, I'd be – if I rostered him, I, I'd be nervous that the Chargers won that game. And Tyrod Taylor does not have a history of dumping off the way Phillip Rivers would to his running back. Now, now Eckler can At run all. routes. He, like he runs the ball in those situations sure. traditionally. Yeah. Now, now, Eckler isn't just one of these dump-off guys. He can run downfield routes, and he's almost like a slot receiver at times. But I'm worried that that receiving volume might go way down and just a touch volume. You, you love that Eckler had the 19 carries. I, I feel like the Chargers need to – the ratio for Eckler should be like 13 carries and six or seven catches, not yes. you know, 19 and one. And I we'll see if they get that fixed. But a lot of times when teams win games, they don't have incentive. If you're digging really deep, okay, uh, Miami – you know, they ended the season last year really nicely, and then they had a real ugly game against Miami. I'm not, still not really sure why they forced O'Shea out of there as offensive coordinator because I thought he was doing some good things in the second half, but I'm not in the locker room. What do I know? It's worth pointing out that Miles Gaskin had 13 touches uh, compared to five for Breida, eight for Jordan Howard, and he also had four catches, and the other two backs didn't catch any passes at all. Now, I haven't double-checked yet with Miami. I don't sure if anybody got hurt in this game, but – just the fact that Gaskin got the most catches here and the most touches bears watching. I'm not saying Miami's any kind of an offensive juggernaut, but the leading backfield touch guy in every team is going to have fantasy value. So 
just if you're, if you're digging deep, if, if a lot of these guys are already gone in your leagues, you know, maybe a Miles Gaskin could be somebody you look for as a, a plan C, a plan D, a plan E. Yeah, I, I hear you on Gaskin. I thought that backfield could be playable for fantasy purposes as a as a two man committee. I'm I'm not sure it's <laughs> it's going to be survivable as a three man committee, right? Like, Brita might end up being a cut in uh, in a week or two. Um, but that but that's not really our problem. We don't handle the cuts episode, of which I believe there is none. We don't have a drops episode here. We just have a pickups episode, and we're going to look at some wide receivers who. If we did uh, have a drops episode, uh, you know, Swift would be would be the headliner just you know, for uh, that week. I'm sorry, I don't. Brutal. I don't take a man while he's down, but uh, man, did they get did they get the Detroit Lion on him really quick? That was that was by the way that was such a complicated moment for me because obviously I'm a I'm a Bears fan and I sort of feel that viscerally and I'm experiencing the game first and foremost as a Bears fan. I, I, DeAndre Swift is one of the players that I have the most exposure to this this fantasy season. Had him in a bunch of lineups and uh, wow, I could have used that touchdown in a in a few places so it's complicated but let's let's move on to receiver we mentioned russell gage and he is certainly in this conversation because anybody who is widely available anybody who's like 98 percent available in leagues who sees 12 targets in a game is is on the map right we have to talk about him i think we have to talk about robbie anderson who understandably only 30 percent rostered in yahoo leagues and then uh, a rookie in uh, in lavisca chanel who had a pretty sensational touchdown and was a very buzzy player leading up to uh, leading up to week one. Paris Campbell had a week. Who else? The Green Bay wide receivers, each uh, beyond Devontae Adams, each found the end zone. Aaron Rodgers played a tremendous game. I could not have been more wrong about him in week one. Um, who else? Sammy Watkins. You interested in Sammy Watkins? You, you know me. I'm Sammy Watkins <laughs> is a guy that it's just, it's just hard for me to to invest um and remember he what three touchdowns in week one last year and that turned out to be a, a total sham and then and they yeah, kept re- going in the regression right i mean um he, he was a guy who won playoff pools for people if you believed in sammy watkins uh, another name i want to mention if you're digging deep not much went right for the buccaneers but did he get scotty miller going now now part of it was a, a compromise to mike evans but doesn't miller just kind of seem like the you know we think of brady with amandola and edelman totally and, you know, just all these this receiver type that he's gotten comfortable with. I'm not, I'm not saying that Miller's going to throw Godwin and Evans out of the way, but I think there's a use for him in this offense. And you know, Gage is somebody really interesting to me because we talked about earlier Atlanta. I'm not sure they fixed the defense. They couldn't stop anything Seattle tried to do. And what we like about Atlanta's offense is their team. They don't care if they're down 21 points. They will play the fourth quarter like there's a million dollars in the end zone if they score a garbage touchdown and they will hurry up. Ryan knows how to you know play in that. They, they all play like they're just caring about their stats. And you know, like I, I love that for fantasy, right? I don't want them yeah. to run draw plays and get on the bus. I want them to chase that, chase the game. And it's a very narrow usage tree. Eventually, Hayden Hurst will get more targets than he had on the opening game. But you know, Todd Gurley maybe phased out as a pass catcher. They tried a couple times on Sunday. That didn't work. Only three receivers. They're not throwing to a fullback. They're not throwing to a fourth wide out. Yeah, Julio and, and Ridley are going to be the main guys. But, but I think Gage, who averaged five catches a game after they got rid of Sanu in the middle of last season, you know, so he already was somebody who had 70 or 80 catches as a reasonable range of outcomes. I mean, he may have just had the best game he'll have all year, but he's going to be on a team that's going to throw a lot. You know, we've seen plenty of seasons where Matt Ryan has thrown 600-plus passes. I think that's going to happen again. Um, with Robbie Anderson, and what are the keys to success, Andy? It's it's hard work, attention to detail, and getting away from Adam Gase. Now, <laughs> Anderson was already a good player with the Jets, so I, I don't want to act like he just uh, found something they, he never did in New York. But you know, again, I worry sometimes when receivers change teams. But you know, he hit the home run right away. 
Carolina, the youngest defense I mentioned in the league, they're going to allow a lot of points. I thought Bridgewater looked pretty solid in his debut. A lot of good skill players here. I think Anderson's interesting. The only thing about Chanel that makes me nervous in Jacksonville, 19 for 20 with Gardner Minshew, but he spread the ball around. He threw the ball to 10 different guys. He comes from that Mike Leach offense. You know, this is where I kind of got on the wrong foot with Hopkins. When you think of the Mike Leach offense of spreading the ball around, you know, Minshew played for him in college. And the 19 completions went to 10 different guys. Nobody had more than five targets in Jacksonville. Maybe it's a one-time thing. I have a lot of DJ Chark shares that want to see Chark get eight or 10 touches the game, targets a yeah, game. Same. But I just would have liked to see Chanel touch the ball more. Now, he did run the ball also. He's one of those guys who can play all over the formation, and he's an offensive coordinator dream. I'm just wondering if Minshew is, is going to give him enough volume that he becomes interesting. What I really like about Campbell, even though I, I, I'm not big on Rivers these days, is I think T.Y. Hilton's on the back nine. I think T.Y. Hilton's like on the 16th or 17th hole. And I think Campbell has an excellent chance to be their best downfield receiver. And he you know, he did have a drop, but he flashed. He was When they did look to the intermediate and deep levels, they were looking to Campbell, a guy who got, you know got was in was with the team last year but wasn't really with the team because he was hurt so much. But at least he got to be in the meetings, get to know everybody. It, it just seems like, you know, remember, Chark was a second-year story out of nowhere. I could see Campbell being somebody who ends up being universally rostered and maybe ends up being this year's DJ chart. A point that I want to, I want to sort of double back to, uh, to Robbie Anderson. Again, he's 30% rostered in a, in a deeper, more competitive league. He might not be out there for you, but I feel like in your standard issue Yahoo league, he's probably available right now. Not the receiver that anyone was necessarily targeting in Carolina. In fact, I think we were doing a little bit more talking about Curtis Samuel's potential uh, leading up to the opener than we probably were Robbie Anderson. Uh, I just want to read a stat that was tweeted out by my friend Jim Sonis at Numberfire uh, just just yesterday. Teddy Bridgewater, and I think one of the worries with Robbie Anderson, of course, coming into the season was that he just didn't seem stylistically like the right fit for Teddy Bridgewater or for what we've seen Teddy Bridgewater do to this point in his in his NFL career, which is, you know, take take a lot of short passes like he throws a lot of short stuff. And again, this is only one game. But Teddy Bridgewater last season playing in New Orleans, um, average depth of target was 6.2 yards, only went deep 11.7% of the time. Teddy Bridgewater, <laughs> Teddy Bridgewater on Sunday against Vegas, average depth of target was 8.2 yards, and he went deep over 25% of the time. So I, I don't know that it's going to look exactly like that all season. But one thing that we were one thing that we were talking about in the in the run up to the to the regular season, of course, was the fact that Carolina was basically going to get off the bus trailing by 10 points, that there was a path for Teddy Bridgewater to throw 600 plus passes this year because he would simply need to. They will be chasing points all year. That was a terrible defense last year that got worse. They're going to have a lot of weeks where they do exactly what they just did, where they give up 30, 34 points, 35 points. And they're going to be they're going to be filling the sky with footballs. And it was good to see Bridgewater looking deep. He connected with Anderson on the 75-yarder, but plenty of other targets to him as well. I think he finished the game with eight targets. So that was good to see. I think if Anderson's out there, of the guys who are widely available, like the guys who are rostered in 40% of leagues or less, say, I think Robbie Anderson is, is a pretty clear number one target. And I think Paris Campbell is a pretty clear number two target. I'm, I'm, a, I'm almost talked out on Paris Campbell because I feel like I've spent the last month saying, hey, here's this slot receiver tied to Phillip Rivers who has 4-3 speed who really flashed when he was healthy last year. And like, I think this is going to work. Like, I think the game that we just got from Paris Campbell Kind of, I kind of felt like this with Naheem Hines too, minus the touchdowns. Like the game we just got from Paris Campbell, this is what his season's going to be. Like it's going to be regularly seven to nine targets. 
he's uh, he's explosive enough that he can maybe every other game turn one of those into sort of a field flipping play, a huge play. I I think Campbell is really interesting and probably somebody who can sneak into to the wide receiver three range, maybe uh, maybe finish this season as a top 30 receiver in PPR leagues. What do you think about that? I, I totally agree. And I, I feel like I missed the boat. I feel like there was signals to Campbell in the summer and I, I wish I had had more exposure to him because he's going to be gone in a, mono, a lot of my leagues. And you know, when you talk about Anderson, you talk about Campbell. I really like these two divisions, too. I see a lot of bad defenses mm, yeah. in these two South divisions. When you look at, like, say, the Breeze-Brady game where the, those offenses didn't do what we expected, remember, they're going to get to play the Falcons twice. They're going <laughs> to get to play the Panthers twice. And that's going to be – I mean, Atlanta could not stop anything Russell Wilson wanted to do. And we talked a lot on this pod about how, how bad and how just totally new the Carolina defense is, the youngest defense in the league. It's going to take a while to fix it. And so there's going to be a lot of shootouts. There's going to be a lot of that, you know, the Tampa Bay Winston ball we saw last year, the 34-30 game that Carolina just played. I think we'll see a lot of that in Carolina. I think we'll see a lot of that in Atlanta. I think we'll see Jacksonville play some higher scoring games. They, they didn't have a total shootout in week one, but I think we'll see that in Jacksonville. I don't like Houston's defense. They, they really couldn't get in Kansas City's way in the opener. No, no shame in that, but I think there's a lot of things wrong with that Houston defense. So the the AFC South and the NFC South, I think there's going to be a lot of pinball played amongst the teams there. Let me ask you, before we move on to uh, pickups at uh, at quarterback and tight end, let me just ask you how you manage, and, and a lot of this is context, a lot of this may come down to what you happen to think of your roster at this given moment and whether you're 0-1 or whether you're 1-0, but I'm going to ask this question anyway, sort of in a general sense. How, how do you think about uh, allocating an acquisition budget in in leagues uh, uh early season versus like are you somebody who likes to save every dollar that you've got for acquiring talent for those final weeks and uh let me make sure that whoever pops you know in december i want to be on that guy i want to have that guy either because i'm going to start him myself or because i'm going to protect myself from uh, having him against him i'm thinking of like you know the guys like damian williams who go off at the end of the season tim tebow back in the day and whatnot or are you somebody who says Okay, if I acquire a player right now with, you know, 15 weeks left in my fantasy season, he's of the greatest possible value to me, right? Like I'm going to get I'm going to get a full season out of this guy. So why not go all in on somebody that I really believe in? Yeah, it's a great question. As you said in the lead up, I mean, it's obviously going to be contextual. It's going to depend on your needs, your league shape, what you expect the pickup competition to be in the middle of the season, the end of the season. My goal is to be like a good poker player, to be a selectively aggressive. If I think a player, for example, if there were was enough signal to, to say that Malcolm Brown would be the Rams' primary back the full season, if I felt confident about that, I needed a running back, I wouldn't mind shoving a very healthy, you know, m- a majority of my fab at him. And if I'm right, it'll be a major boon to my team. As you said, you get the full season out of it. Like Chark last year, I think Chark was a pickup yep. around this time, and he ended up being a full season guy. Because also... A big skill in fantasy with pickups is going to be looking a week ahead, being able to get guys for free when other people have to pay for them a week later, you know, working the schedule, that type of thing. I do like to keep a few bucks left over so that late in the season, you know, maybe I have eight bucks in my fab budget. Maybe you have three bucks and then I can get anybody I want. I can block you. Also, in leagues that allow you to trade for for money in, in, right. the, in the free agent budget, I'm often doing that. Because sometimes late in the season, all you need is a couple of bucks just to be able to box out who you need to box out, and that is advantageous. But the bottom line is every situation is different, and you know you're leading your context better than I do. I am not afraid to be selectively aggressive if I feel like a player merits it. So I 
again, it comes down to if you do that, then that just means you have to do a different kind of shopping. You're not going to be able to get the flavor of the week in the middle of the season because you've already spent a lot of money. It just means you need to think maybe a week or two ahead of the rest of the room. Yeah. And certainly sometimes we go all in on the wrong guy, right? Like I, I, mm-hmm. I am still scarred by the the – I don't even remember what season it was when – I may have decided that Devontae Booker could be a league winner, went all in on him, and uh turns out he was not. Spoiler alert, he was not a league winner. <laughs> um, it happens. I, I can I can imagine taking that approach with, you know, perhaps not so much Hines right now, who I think, again, the role that we just saw about 15 touches, that's probably what it's going to be. I could talk myself into Malcolm Brown being the primary early down runner, goal line runner for the for the Rams, though. Like, I, I think that's I think that's very possible. I like Akers, but Akers wasn't necessarily a wow runner for me. Like Akers is not in the category of a Jonathan Taylor where we're just, you know, we're sort of waiting for opportunity and he can obviously be a star. I don't I don't put him quite there. So, yeah, I, I think Brown can hold down that job. So Brown is probably the one guy if I'm going to if I'm going to push all the chips in this week. Eh, Brown is probably the guy that I would do it for. Let's um, let's transition to quarterback because like we, we've already talked around the one guy that really needs to be highlighted here. And that's Gardner Minshew. I believe he just delivered the only game perhaps in NFL history. I think the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, official Twitter tweeted this out in which a quarterback has completed 95 percent of his passes, which, of course, is absurd uh, with with at least three touchdowns. Like it was, we, this is a unicorn. We don't we don't get this game. 19 of 20. 19 of 20. You mentioned one of the most interesting stats from his week, which is that he only attempted 20 passes and he connected with 10 different receivers. I don't know. Has that ever happened? Um, maybe it has. It's a crazy stat, right? <laughs> like that is an absolutely crazy stat. So there was no, there was no clear dominant number one. Um, Shark, obviously a touchdown. Chanel, a touchdown. Cole, a touchdown. Really, really fun game. I feel like there are some things that we got right about Minshew and some things perhaps that we got, that we got wrong. Um, he's, he's a, he's a second quarterback for me in a ton of super flex leagues. So like I, I have a little bit of an investment here. I basically either went Goff or I went Minshew. The thinking with Minshew, of course, was that, well, this is going to be a terrible team. They're trying to be a terrible team. They're just going to be chasing points. Um, I, I've seen, I've seen a Bortles season in Jacksonville that went well and he was terrible and I don't even need Minshew to be good, um, for him to have a really, really solid fantasy season, but may, maybe, maybe. Maybe he's a little better because like he wasn't, you know, he's got he's got a gunslinger vibe to him, right? Like he looks that part. He's super fun. He's super fun off the field. And if you just, you know, if you just listen to him talk for like four or five minutes, you'd think, wow, I bet this guy throws some picks. I bet this is a sloppy player who plays a really fun brand of football. He threw six interceptions last year. Like he's not like he just had a hyper efficient game. He does not give the ball away. And there were a lot of people trying to pick on this Jaguars offense, right? Like um, the, the Colts defense was probably the most heavily streamed defense of the week. And what did that get you? That got you, that got you nothing. Cause Minshew didn't even throw it like three touchdowns and one incompletion in this game. So super impressive, obviously not sustainable. Um, nobody, nobody completes 90% of their passes. We know that, but like his schedule moving forward, so friendly, like the next four or five, six weeks are all really friendly. It's not going to surprise me at all if we go into their bye week and Gardner Minshew is is still ranking as a top 10 fantasy quarterback. Yeah, you, you hit on so many of the key points there. Uh, more of a quarterback too, more of a super flex quarterback or, or maybe a DFS quarterback when the price is right. But, you know, Mike Leach will, will just talk and, and give you sonnets about how much he loves <laughs> Minshew, his work ethic, his his accuracy, which is one of the most underrated things a quarterback can have is just throwing the ball to an accurate spot. 
And when Minshew was in college and, and he was going to do his graduate transfer, he almost went to Alabama. Okay, he was going to be their number two quarterback. But I mean, if Nick Saban wants you on his roster in an important job, right. you know, I mean that that it's not like Minshew is, is you know some guy who played at community college or something. I mean, he's a <laughs> you know, and obviously Jacksonville drafted him at the point in the draft that we you do kind of talk pro- about him like he's Kurt Warner, right? Like he just wandered in off uh, off the, <laughs> right. the the bagging uh, section at High V. Yeah, right? like they had an yeah. open they had an open tryout, you know, at the Sandlot. <laughs> and it's like, oh, that, that guy seems pretty good. Let's put him on the on the practice squad for the practice squad. I mean, he's a as you said, twenty one touchdowns, six picks last year. You know. I, I challenge anybody to look at his passing stats last year and his efficiency stats and then get out Kyler Murray's passing and efficiency stats and see if you can tell the difference because they're very similar. And obviously Murray, a better runner and, and more pedigree. I mean, you know, Minshew didn't win a Heisman Trophy, although, man, guys were wide open for Kyler Murray and for Baker Mayfield, for that matter, when they won their Heismans. But, you know, I'm not saying Minshew's going to be as good as Kyler Murray, but I think he'll be – and he can run a little bit. He's enterprising – uh, he's a guy who probably run for 20, 30 yards a week. I think he had a little less than that in week one. But I mean, he's not afraid to take the yardage if it's there. And I think the Jacksonville defense can play a lot worse than it did in week one. I think they got out kind of easy against the Colts team that still hasn't really figured out their identity yet. The Colts left some points on the field. It's going to be a lot of weeks where Jacksonville allows 30 points or more. Now, granted, that can be a problem sometimes when the defense can't get on the can't, can't get off the field. But I think Minshew's going to be fun. I'm certainly I was in on Shark all season. Um, you know, we talked about Chanel earlier. Just we'd like to see. Maybe it's in Minshew's best interest to spread the ball around this much for fantasy purposes. We'd like the usage of the target tree to narrow a little bit, so it's just more projectable for us. But I, I think Minshew's going to be in our life all season. And you talked about Bridgewater earlier. I'm not sure what his roster percentage is off the top of my head, but again, that Carolina defense awful. Carolina offense yeah. filled with skill players we like. We like McCaffrey. We like DJ Moore. We like Samuel. We talked about Anderson as a pickup. And as you said, Bridgewater pushing the ball downfield more than he had in his brief time with the Saints as a new coaching staff. Some interesting coaches brought in from college, you know, really creative concepts in Carolina. I think Carolina's going to be much like Jacksonville, like really fun 4-12, and 5-11 and 11 football but I think there's a lot of fantasy goodness to be mined here. Uh, yeah, no, I think it's a, I think it's a really good point. And I, I, a lot of the conversation around Carolina going into opening week was simply the fact that everybody was just meeting for the first time within the last month, right? Like two new coordinators, new head coach, new quarterback, like everything is new, whatever they lost, but they did a pretty good job of blending it all together. Bridgewater had a, a perfectly fine day. And uh, listen, I, like if you told me that, that, Teddy Bridgewater was going to throw 625 passes this year. I'd be like, yeah, that's that's definitely in play for him, which is going to which is going to put him near the league leaders. So I think he's a reasonable pickup. Again, I think I think Minshew is probably not that anybody has a desperate need for quarterback help after one week in in which we had no significant injuries at the quarterback position. But I'm just going to read to you the upcoming schedule ahead of the bye for Gardner Minshew. It is at Tennessee. Tennessee was not a stellar pass defense last year, and they're coming off a short week. Um, and then it's Miami and then it's at Cincinnati and then it's at Houston and then it's Detroit. Like that's what, that's what Minshew is facing going into his buy. Like he, he's going to be a top 10 fantasy quarterback, like at the end of October. Um, that is a, what, whatever. It's only been one week. We have, we have w- what we think we know from 2019 and we have what we think we know from 
opening week of 2020. But that sure looks to me like an exceedingly friendly schedule that Minshew is going to be able to exploit. I'm just going to co-sign and say absolutely. Yeah, I'm not going to I'm not going to try to talk anybody into officially. I don't want to have a Mitch Trubisky recommendation on my uh, on my resume. I will simply point out that he's about to face the Giants in Atlanta and the Colts. And that seems like a pretty friendly stretch, too. But that's like, a you know, in case of desperation break glass sort of fantasy maneuver uh really only uh, appropriate in superflex let's move on to tight end because i need the help uh because I, I can't i i haven't even done the full i haven't done the full inventory of leagues in which i had blake charwin but i i just i feel terrible for him because he well i mean like he just got a deal signed in which he had a bunch of guaranteed money so i guess that's good but he was going to have a really good year there were a lot of vacated targets there it was it was not much of a stretch to think that Blake Jarwin could see 90, 100 targets this season, that uh, that a lot of things were going to go right for the Cowboys offense. And it's just a bummer to see him go down. Um, but uh, a lot of people had shares of him and he's got to be replaced. Who do you like at tight end? Yeah, pour one out for Blake Jarwin. I for, First, I mean, as you say, we, we always think of the player first and, and his livelihood and everything. But it's funny. I have a lot of Jarwin shares, too. And so many of them are on best ball teams where I can't do anything Whereas he's one of my two tight ends. So I need my, or one of my three tight ends. So I need my other guys to step up and uh, you know, I'm looking at you, Chris Herndon. I'm looking at you, Tyler Higby, (laughs) you know, uh, you know, the rust is worn off. You guys need to start producing right away because Jarwin's not going to be with us. You know, Logan Thomas in Washington led the team in targets, got the touchdown, has an athletic profile, which, which so often we'll see that at tight end, right? What's the joke that they're all basketball players, right? They're all power forwards, you know, I mean, you, everybody would always mention how Antonio Gates was a you know, college basketball player. Tony, Tony, Tony Gonzalez, college basketball. You're not Logan anything Thomas. at tight end today unless you used to be a power forward in college. Right. right? Yeah. Absolutely. I want to see you dunk before I see you. That's, you know, <laughs> at the combine, the tight end should do basketball drills, right? <laughs> you know, forget this shuttle run stuff. I want to see you rebound, dunk. I, I want to see you, you know, take a charge, whatever it is. We're just going to send Logan all Thomas the tight ends the team to the targets. NBA combine. That's right. Sure. You have to NBA shoot elbow combine. jumpers. That's all I care about. Yeah. Well, Pat Riley's barking at you. That'd be great. <laughs> um, but Logan Thomas led the team in targets, uh, has that athletic profile, had the, had the touchdown catch. And this is a team other than Terry McLaurin, who's going to be you know, doubled the moment they get off the bus. There's a lot of open targets available. We hope the quarterback play will eventually get better. There, there was some positivity with Haskins late last season. So I think Thomas is look, there's a lot of good tight ends out there to say he's like a top 15, top 20 tight end may not sound like much, but there's a lot of guys at the position. I can't certainly can't put him in the top 10 right now, but a very reasonable replacement if you lost Jarwin. And if you need to look deeper, look, we, we like Deshaun Watson. Um, we like him on the field. We like him off the field. Really likable player and, and certainly super talented. Congratulations on the new contract. He's got a lot of receivers that there's question marks about. Yep. I know right now Fuller's healthy. We'll see how long that lasts. You know, Brandon Cooks has a concussion history. Randall Cobb on the back nine of his career. And they just lost Duke Johnson, who they thought they would throw probably a bunch of passes to. I think Jordan Aikens is more talented than Fells, the, the journeyman who had all the touchdowns last year. Aikens did have a touchdown and he caught both of his targets in that Thursday opener. I think Aikens could be one of those guys that people don't see coming. And then by the middle of October, it's like, hey, Jordan Aikens is like tight end 11, and he's rostered in like 2% of leagues. I, I think there's potential here just because if Deshaun Watson trusts you, then I trust you. And right, I don't right. think Fels is anything special. So uh, Thomas is the obvious tight end pickup. But if you're looking deeper, if, if you're in one of those deeper formats, I think Aikens is somebody – who you might want to kick the tires on too. Aiken's a good call because I, I feel like people may not realize that usually what's the the thing that makes somebody 
you know, not a not a top five fantasy tight end. But if you any given season, if you just look at the guys who finish like six to 12, they they really only get there because they score like half a dozen touchdowns. Right. Like it all comes down to touchdowns. There's there's nobody that far down in the in the order of finish who is delivering like 900 yards, 1100 yards. You just don't see it a lot at tight end. And it really comes down to. Does it are they tied to a good offense where the quarterback trusts them when they get in goal to go situations? Right. And that is probably going to be Aikens. Like yeah, you said it well, if uh, if Deshaun Watson trusts you, you're probably going to be a fantasy factor. I don't want to I don't want to like muddy the waters too much here with a whole bunch of names, because I do think that Logan Thomas is probably the priority at tight end among widely available. I mean, heck, he's only two percent rostered right now. So he's out there for most people. He had a fair amount of buzz during camp only because we couldn't even name another tight end on Washington's roster, right? He's a, a super interesting backstory, obviously. He was a, he was a college quarterback at Virginia Tech, um, making, the, making the switch to the tight end position, and he is just absolutely built like a modern tight end, right? He's 6'6", he's six, six, great athlete, and had, hey, had a touchdown in opening week in a, in a surprise win against Philly. So there's every reason to think that Logan Thomas is going to continue to see seven, eight, nine targets per week. And that, that is obviously another big thing that we're chasing here. And it's not quite the same to have Dwayne Haskins, uh, full faith and trust. But <laughs> again, if, if a guy's seeing eight targets a week, it's not really going to matter. So I think, I think Logan Th- Thomas is, is pretty much the priority target for me. Let me ask you two tight ends. I think are very difficult to figure out. Um, the Bears did give Jimmy Graham seven targets, and, and one of them was a touchdown. Only three. One of them was a 25. touchdown, and then there was another near touchdown too. Yeah, yeah, should have had two touchdowns. And one of the things I got grossly wrong last year was OJ Howard. I thought, okay, Arians doesn't have this mm. tight end experience, but he's never had a player like Howard. And of course, it went horribly wrong. A lot of things went right in Tampa Bay, but Howard never got off the mat. So now what happens? They bring in Gronkowski. They get everybody off the Howard scent, and we know Howard absorbed six targets, four for thirty-six and a touchdown. Gronkowski, I know he left one big play on the field, but he looked very much like a guy who didn't play football last year. I mean, is OJ Howard going to be the tight end to have in, in Tampa Bay? What do you think of these two guys? Yeah, that's a, you know, that's really a good one. And I probably should have tossed the name OJ Howard out there. I ultimately, I don't have the greatest faith in Jimmy Graham because I don't have the greatest faith in the Bears, uh, the Bears quarterback situation, even though, yes, I rattled off some really good matchups in the week in the weeks ahead. And it's entirely plausible that Jimmy Graham could be one of those guys who finishes with six touchdowns. He's already got one and and sort of stumbles his way into, you know, tight end 10, tight end 11 status, something like that. Um, Howard is really interesting because he is still an ascending player. And it's not like, uh, he, you know, whatever, he caught a touchdown. So he's he's going to show up among the among the high scorers. But he was relatively heavily targeted, too. I want to say a half dozen targets in that one, four catches on on six targets, I think it was. So obviously, if you are a heavily targeted tight end in uh, an offense with Tom Brady at the controls, that feels like a pretty good thing. I don't know that it's going to be six targets a week. Um, I don't know that he's anything more than the fourth option as a receiver when everybody's healthy in Tampa, but still it could be an explosive enough offense and we could see enough, you know, OJ Howard down the seam sort of plays like he seems like he's built for that role. I can certainly imagine him finishing this season with seven or eight touchdowns. Yeah, uh, certainly plausible. I mean, I know he's at an age where you just want to discount him, but I mean, you know, if you have the quarterback's attention, yeah. You know, I mean, I, I have to mention you know, CJ Uzoma had four for 45 on five targets with Joe Burrow. Uh, maybe there's a connection there. I still like Chris Herndon, who, who snuck over the 50 percent 
roster tag that we so generally you don't talk about somebody once they're over that but he's only at 52 percent i know it's very trendy to bash the jets and i'll I'll do it as much as anybody but if anybody drops herned in your league or gets frustrated if he has another poor game he had a fumble in that game he only had the 37 yards i guess it wasn't a poor game but um if herndon gets off to a slow start and he gets dropped i would still scoop him up i I think he's going to be the jets second most reliable receiver after crowder and i still think sam darnold can be a good player he just Again, we talked about earlier, you know, the getting away from Adam Gaze. I, I think whoever comes in and gets this Jets job next year is set up to succeed. I think there's a lot of talent on this team. It's just right now not managed very well. It's it's such a cliche to say that that nobody's as good or as bad as their week one result. Obviously, that's we we sort of relearn that every year. Buffalo's defense is good. Like, like we can't, you know, we can only hold so much against the Jets based on based on the week one performance. There's the one big play by Jamison Crowder and basically no other big plays. There's a reason that Buffalo has as much buzz as they do as a as a potential uh, like team to make a deep playoff run. And it's uh, honestly, it's mostly about that uh, about that defense. That defense has stars at every level. Like it's it's really good. It's really good. So I, you know, not that not that anybody's heavily invested in Jets. Uh, for fantasy purposes, but you, you know they just faced a really good team, and and the result was fairly predictable. Yeah, and I think the reason one of the reasons I mentioned this is that the Jets get San Francisco in week two, and I think you know probably an angry San Francisco team after that opening loss, and I can imagine a scenario where San Francisco blows out the Jets, and there's just this mass exodus. People want no part of any Jet. Maybe Crowder will, will get held in most leagues, but people just abandon ship on everybody else and. You know, the schedule will eventually come around and, and be more friendly. You know, they're not going to be playing Buffalo and San Francisco every week. So um, I would not that I'm saying this is going to be a great offense, but I, I think Chris Herndon, I still believe that Chris Herndon will be a top 12 tight end by the end of the season. Uh, it's just going to be our friend Mike Salfino out there on Twitter um, <laughs> raving about Sam, Sam Darnold's schedule adjusted stats or something i like he's gonna he's gonna go down with the darnold ship i like i hope things turn around for sam darnold because i still like he's really young still and could obviously still be a good quarterback he has a, this horrid receiving core crowder's a good player and that's about where it ends yeah but he's still younger than joe burrow i, I think he'll always yeah. be younger than joe burrow according <laughs> to my, that's correct, my calculations so usually how it works so those have to check with my research staff but i think that's true yeah, I think although I think Philip Rivers might be older than Tom Brady now. I, I got to double check on that. I think I think Rivers might be forty four. We'll check check the dating on that. But anyway, hopefully we we gave you some pickups that will uh, that will improve your roster. And of course, we didn't mention the guy that you're looking at. You can always catch us on Twitter on Scott underscore Pianowski. Scott underscore Pianowski. He's an underscore guy. I never fully trust the underscore guys. Um, you got anything to sure plug? Do. What's coming up this week? Yeah, we're still rocking and rolling with the fantasy baseball podcast. And of course, on Wednesdays we we have football coming at you five days a week in podcast form and i'm excited about the show i do wednesday with dalton Daldam. we uh comes out thursday we tape it wednesday where we actually pick the games we we bet on props and uh overs and unders and, and all sorts of stuff and you know did we'll dalton get, get anything from, right last week did he get anything right not much not much <laughs> but uh no, I, I, he gets i mean he's he's uh he's i i say this with love he's a gen like a lot of us are and uh you know hey you know yahoo's got a partnership with BetMGM, so it's never been a better time if you're interested in props you you want to bet on you know Clyde Edwards Solaire is going to have over a certain amount of yardage you can do that team totals all sorts of stuff so um yeah it's never been a more fun time to be in that space and so that's what we're talking about in the middle of the week and I, I know you have um you have more podcast responsibilities coming as well 
Uh, I do. I'm on with uh, I'm on with Liz uh, every week toward the end of the week, previewing each game. Uh, again, got to got to shout out the Yahoo Fantasy Baseball podcast. I mean, this is such a it's a fun time of year, but it's a it's a stressful and complicated time of year because um, we have you know head to head playoffs are going on in baseball right now. We're we're all in some crazy baseball roto leagues, right? Where the we're st- like it's late enough in the season that we have to really hawk it every day, but it's it's still early in the season too, because we just got started like six weeks ago. So the, so the standings are flipping. Like I have Roto leagues where the standings, everybody is like up four points, down four points, five. Like I'm, I'm bouncing between first place and fourth place in, in a league that I take very seriously. So whatever, we got a lot of distractions on the baseball front. Scott hosts the Yahoo fantasy baseball podcast. You want to continue to check that out. Also check out the Yahoo sports NFL podcast with Charles Robinson and Therese Paler, which is really actually secretly one of my favorite fantasy podcasts um, they talk about super league all the time check out the yahoo sports college podcast with wetzel with Thamel with 40 uh follow us on twitter at yahoo fantasy he is at scott underscore pianowski i'm at andy barons uh once more huge thanks to planters that is it we are out <laughs>